Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. Good morning again, Crosswalk. It's great to see all of you here. I'll introduce myself again. I'm Pastor Jeff, one of the two teaching pastors here at our church. We want to warmly welcome all of you this morning, especially if you're a guest or a visitor this morning. Thanks for coming by here in the heat of summer and joining us. We, uh, we want you to feel warmly welcome. Make sure you stop by the Resource Center on your way out today. We have a gift for you if you're a first or second time guest. With that, let's uh, pull out the crosswalk notes. That's the other thing that you'll find inside your program. And uh, let's take a look at today's message from Luke chapter 24. If you have a Bible, and we encourage you to bring your own Bible to church, mark it up, follow along, open it up to Luke chapter 24. That's what we're going to be going through today. And before we begin, as we've been doing in all of these through, uh, through this series, The Story, We're going to show you a video that shows that although only a few days have passed since the events of last week when we witnessed Jesus being crucified, a lot has happened. So let's roll that video, and that'll bring us up to date on where we are today. After Jesus died on the cross, the Roman soldiers took him down and gave him over to two men, one of them a Jewish leader who secretly followed Jesus. They prepared his body for burial by wrapping his body in strips of linen. Then they placed Jesus in a tomb. Because they worried that someone might steal his body, the Romans placed a huge stone in front of the tomb and guards outside of it. Then, the next day, Jesus' mother and a follower of Jesus named Mary went to visit the tomb of Jesus. Just as they had arrived, a huge earthquake shook the ground and an angel came down from heaven and rolled back the stone from in front of the tomb and sat on it. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. Jesus is not here. He is risen. So the women ran to tell Jesus' closest followers what they had heard. When they heard the news, Jesus' disciples John and Peter ran to the tomb to see for themselves. There, they found only the strips of linen that Jesus' body had been wrapped in. Mary, the follower of Jesus, stood outside the tomb crying. All of a sudden, a man appeared to her. She thought it was the gardener. But when he said her name, Mary, she realized it was Jesus. He was alive. This was the first of many times that Jesus appeared to his friends and followers. At one point, he even invited them to touch the nail scars in his hands so they would believe he was really alive. Not only did they believe that Jesus was alive, but many of them believed that he was the long-awaited Messiah, the one God had promised for years and years. But Jesus let them know that the story was not over yet. Go and make disciples, Jesus told his followers. He commanded them to go throughout all the world to help others know about him and how to live in God's ways. This began an adventure that would change the lives of Jesus' followers forever and change the world. So today is a story about the biggest event in the history of the world. And if you're sitting in the auditorium today, maybe filled with a little bit of doubt 
about this whole thing and the reality of it, whether it truly happened the way the Bible says it is, I'm glad you're here. And I want you to know that we're happy when you bring your questions and your doubts because that's exactly uh, what happens in the story that we're about to see. We're actually going to look at a story that was not on the video, but happened on Easter Sunday. But later on on Easter Sunday, after Jesus' resurrection, there were two disciples who were walking on a road to a little village outside of Jerusalem named Emmaus. And as these two disciples are walking this road, they are just in their mind, their minds are kind of blown by everything that has happened in the last hours and days. Remember, Jesus was crucified, as we heard last week, on Friday. By Friday afternoon, uh, two gentlemen asked for his body from the Roman authorities. One of them is named Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man who is also, interestingly, a member of the Jewish ruling council, or the Sanhedrin, as we call it. But who had secretly been following Jesus. Secretly because in those days, as you know, because they were the instigators behind Jesus' death, the Sanhedrin were not supporters of Jesus. But this one gentleman, a member of the Sanhedrin, Joseph of Arimathea, also in the Bible we're told he was a very wealthy man, he happened to have a tomb. And so late on Friday afternoon, before the Sabbath begins at 6 p.m. on Friday, Joseph goes, and he goes with another interesting gentleman, a gentleman that you've heard of before. His name is Nicodemus. We hear about him in John chapter 3. And Nicodemus is also a member of the Pharisees, considered to be a leader among the Jews, and also a secret follower of Jesus. Remember, when was it that Nicodemus came? to ask his questions and express his doubts about Jesus? The Bible in John 3 says he came to Jesus at night under cover of darkness to ask those questions. But now both of these men who had been secret followers of Jesus out themselves, they come out of the closet as Christ followers and they ask for Jesus' body, they place it in the tomb. 6 p.m., as you saw in the video, the sun goes down. Remember, in Jewish time, the day begins with sunset, so the Sabbath day begins on Friday night for us. It goes all the way through the next day until it's dark again. There's nothing able to be done with Jesus' body on that day. And then on the third day, and we'll even hear these two men say it's been three days. On the, on the third day then, the women rush out to the tomb. And we know for sure of four women who run out there, they get up before sunrise, they gather the cloths and the, and the perfume and the, the oils that they're going to use to anoint Jesus' body for burial and then wrap his body for burial, and they head out reaching there shortly after dawn. And when they get there, you saw it in the video, the stone had been rolled away. Now, this wasn't so that Jesus could uh, come out of the tomb. We know from a story on Easter Sunday that Jesus can walk right through doors. He is the Son of God. He now has a glorified body. The tomb is open so that others can see what has happened. Now, the Roman authorities had, had been so afraid of all of these things that they had actually posted a guard there. The guards know where to be seen, but an angel is there, and uh, according to one account, in fact, several angels, and 
they announce to the women, he's not here, he's risen just as he promised. And they run back to tell the disciples. It's on the afternoon of this same day, Easter Sunday, the original Easter Sunday, that two disciples are walking out to a village named Emmaus. Let's dive in. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Lots had gone on, as I just related to you. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Will you do me a favor? I want you to underline this phrase in verse 16, but they were kept from recognizing him. That is going to be the theme for today, that we often struggle with recognizing who Jesus is, even though he's walking right beside us. We'll come back to that point. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Cleopas asks a great question. You see, I think Jerusalem must have been a buzz with all the things that had happened. Remember, only a week earlier, Jesus had marched in, well, actually rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, and crowds and children were waving palm branches and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna in the highest. Everyone in Jerusalem, clearly, according to that statement, was talking about what had happened with this guy who had claimed to be the promised one, the Messiah. It's, it's so common, this news has gone so far, that Cleopas just can't believe that this gentleman who's come up alongside of them to walk with them to Emmaus hasn't heard of these things. Really, dude, you didn't hear about any of this? And I think... It's kind of interesting because sometimes as followers of Christ, we may get a similar feeling when we're talking to people who don't know Christ. Because we've been taught all of these wonderful things about who Christ is, the Son of God, the Savior, the one who redeems us from our sins, who gives us eternal life. We've been taught all these amazing truths about Jesus and so when we meet another person who doesn't appear to be in on all this news about Jesus Christ, it could take us aback a little bit. Really, you haven't heard all these things about Jesus and what he's done for us and what he's done for you? And sometimes when you get into a debate, maybe some of you sitting here today are one of those people who struggles a little bit with recognizing who Jesus is. And that might be because you're just coming into the Christian church. I've been there when I was first a Christian as a high school student. There were a lot of things I didn't know about Jesus. I wasn't totally convinced that Jesus was the Son of God and the Messiah and the Savior of the world. I certainly wasn't convinced at that point that he was my Savior and my Lord. Or maybe you're a long-term Christian. And you're just going through some really tough events in your life right now. And those events and the pain of those events 
And the trouble of those events, even though you know, Jesus said to all of us as followers, he said, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross and then come after me. You know those words. You know that Jesus said in this world you will have trouble, but even so, the pain and the, and the suffering that's come upon you right now is sort of clouding your vision and keeping you from seeing Jesus, even though he's walking right alongside of you. So whatever your situation is, again, I'm so glad that you're here today because I think that there are a lot of us that have questions and doubts about Jesus, even though we've called ourselves Christians for for quite a while. And we may have our own level of trouble in recognizing Jesus and seeing him walking beside us. When we talk with people who haven't seen what we have seen, sometimes that will feed into our doubts. So I want you to write this down, and then I'm going to talk about it for a moment. Do we sometimes struggle in our faith, is what I mean. Do we sometimes struggle in our faith because we know others who haven't seen what we have seen? You know, when you begin to talk with others who don't recognize Jesus, they're going to raise questions and objections to you. And some of those questions and objections are going to sound logical and sensible. And that may begin to work at your faith and work at your heart and and maybe raise out questions and doubts of your own. Kind of interesting. This got me thinking about my backyard. I have had three beautiful lawns in my backyard. And every time I planted seed and got those lawns going and they were really green and beautiful, I attracted mass crowds of rabbits with that grass. And I tried the most innovative solutions for this problem because I didn't want to spend all that money on building a fence around my yard. I got this one gadget that was supposed to work just sweet. It had a little thing that you stuck in the ground, and then it had a motion sensor. And when it would sense the motion of the hopping bunny, it was supposed to emit a sound that we as humans could not hear, but that would really aggravate the rabbits and send them scurrying away. So I bought four of these things, and I put posted them on every corner of my yard. And I'm like, I am Elmer Fudd, only better. No guns for me. And, I, and you know, I'm, I'm waiting there. I'm on my back porch, sitting in my chair, waiting for the first bunny to come hopping along and watch it scurry away, right? I'm so excited. My lawn is going to survive, finally. And the first bunny, and then the second bunny, and then the third bunny, they all come hopping along, and they munch on the grass as if nothing. I'm over there checking the batteries. The little red light is going on, indicating that the sound is going off, which only the rabbits can hear. They don't care. They just keep eating. The reason I thought of this story is talking to people who don't have a recognition of Jesus can raise up little thoughts and doubts that are like those bunnies that scurry into our hearts and minds. And and we might try all sorts of strategies, spiritual strategies, to try to chase those stray thoughts out that want to eat up our faith and destroy our faith and turn our, 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 our beautiful green faith life into a desert 
We might have little strategies that we think are going to work, but ultimately those, those doubts and those questions and those thoughts flood our mind until one day we look around and we go, I, I just really don't know about Jesus anymore. And all that beautiful, green, lush faith that we once had seems to be disappearing on us. And that, thus the question, do you sometimes struggle because you know others or you have gone through events or maybe you're new to this and you're struggling to see the things that others have seen about Jesus. So, so Jesus talks to these guys. Remember, Cleopas has asked this question, didn't you see all this stuff? And here's what Jesus says in response to him. What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. You see the confusion that these guys are going through? I mean, this confusion is palpable. You can almost touch it. It's tangible. When Jesus says what things, notice here the first thing that they say. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Now, that might sound good on first blush, but do you notice they have demoted Jesus? They don't say about Jesus of Nazareth, the long-promised and long-awaited Messiah, the Savior. They put Jesus into the rank of people like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. He's now, in their minds, become just another man, a great man, a great prophet, powerful in word and deed, but simply a man. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. And now we get a peek into why they have demoted Jesus. Here's what they say. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. I want you to circle the word hoped. The reason Jesus got demoted here was that all of these events of the last few days, especially the crucifixion of Christ, had not been at all what they had hoped or expected Jesus to do or to be. When they say, we hoped that he had been the one to redeem Israel, do you know what they meant? They didn't mean like we think of it, that Jesus is our redeemer because he forgives our sins. He's the perfect sacrifice. He, uh, he gives us eternal life, and thus he buys us back from the power of sin and death and Satan. That's what we mean when we call Jesus our redeemer. We take it in a spiritual and eternal sense. When they're saying this, we had hoped that he would be the redeemer of Israel. They're saying we had hoped that he would be a king like David, 
who would ascend to the throne and boot the Romans out because the Romans are clearly our cross to bear. And bearing that cross is tiring and sweaty and oppressive, and and we're done. We're, We're so done with them. We need a king. We need someone to come in and be our David and get these Romans off our backs. They were looking for someone, in other words, to help them right here, right now. Now think about that for a moment. Anybody here in this room looking for Jesus to do that for you? Help you right here and right now? And and let me tell you something very bluntly. There are a lot of Christian messengers. There are a lot of Christian messages. There are a lot of Christian churches that are feeding into all of our thinking that Jesus is another self-help guru, that that's his role. He is here to provide us with self-help wisdom and advice so that our life can get better today. That's the modern version of Jesus coming as the king, the David Our modern version of that is not that the Romans are going to get booted out. The Romans are long gone. Our modern version of it is that Christianity is all about self-help and and creating a better life for myself because I understand how to live in a better way. And the idea that gets embedded in this is that if I live as a Christian and if I do the things that the Bible says, my life is going to improve. I'm going to be healthier, wealthier, and more prosperous. Jesus is going to help me right here, right now. And guess what happens when Jesus instead says to us who follow him, pick up your cross and follow me. Can you guess what happens? Well, we had hoped that Jesus was going to be the Messiah that would take these burdens off of us. I had hoped that when I became a Christ follower, my business life would be more successful my marriage would just all of a sudden become glorious and we would get along like none other because we're Christians. My health, well, I wouldn't have to worry about health now, would I? Because I'm a Christ follower. Clearly, I'm gonna be better. And even if Jesus has to heal me by a miracle, and I'm, by the way, not saying that Jesus doesn't still heal by miracles, but this, these are the expectations and hopes that we begin to build up when we think that Jesus is the right here, right now Messiah, the King David, who is going to be our self-help guru, who if we just follow him, will take away all of our pain, all of our trouble, and all of our suffering. And what Jesus is trying to say, look, these, do you see these guys? Did you notice what it said? They stood still. I'm going all the way back up to that first reading, verse 17. What did their faces look like? They stood still, their faces downcast. These men were Christ followers, but they were confused. They were downcast, meaning they were depressed, and they were carrying a cross right now because of all of this that was going on. 
The reason I'm telling you this, guys, is because I love you so much. I really do. And I don't want you to build up false hopes and false expectations. Does Jesus help us in our work life? Does Jesus help us in our marriages? Does Jesus help us with our our families and raising our children? Does he help us know how to interact with our friends? Will we generally maybe be more healthy if we don't do the sinful things that God says not to do in the Bible? The answer to all those is yes, but that is not where to hang your hopes because Jesus is so much more than that, so much more. Jesus' real value to you is that he assures you that death is not the end. This life is a blip, and whatever pain or agony or suffering, I don't belittle that. I know. I've been through it. You know that I've shared with you my own clinical depression. I know how agonizing it can be. But at the end of the day, while Jesus can at times help us with these things, he also says, in this world, you will have trouble. Pick up your cross and follow me. Your real hope is not this life, but the life coming after this life, and that is what I, your Redeemer, am offering you. That is the meaning and the story of the resurrection because Jesus is raised from the dead. We too one day will go on through faith in him to enjoy an eternal life in heaven with God. Meanwhile, here, we struggle. We have questions We have doubts. So write this down. Do we, do I sometimes struggle because I'm not even sure what to believe myself? And the answer to that is likely going to be, if you're very, very honest with yourself, yes. Look at these two. They're struggling because they're not sure what to believe themselves. Does this mean that they're not Christ followers? Nope. They're Christ followers. They're just struggling with their questions and their doubts right now. Jesus said to them, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Now, I love this part. It's the the reason I broke it here because this short part is so cool. You see what Jesus is saying here? I want you to underline the word foolish. Then underline the words slow to believe. And then underline the last sentence, have to suffer these things and then enter his glory. What kind of question is Jesus asking? In high school English, you would have learned that this is called a rhetorical question. And what does a rhetorical question ask? It asks a question to which you already know the answer. It's called a rhetorical question because the person who's asking it knows that you already know. That's what Jesus is asking this. And so what he, by asking a rhetorical question, Jesus is saying what? He's saying, guys, listen, you two. You already have all the facts you need. 
This, this is not a question of me giving you more facts so that I can prove that, that what went down the last couple days is what was meant to go down, what was always intended to go down. You know the story. Don't, don't come and, and act like you don't know the facts or that you need more facts. You don't need more facts. By the way, challenging you a little bit. I think that's still true of many of us today. We know the facts. By the way, also, this is the reason why we often at Crosswalk ask this question. You've heard me ask it a number of times. You've heard Pastor Dan ask it. You'll hear us ask it in classes, 101, 201, 301. We put it sometimes on those study sheets for growth groups. And do you know what the question is? Do you really believe that what you believe is really real? And when we ask that, you know what we're saying? You already have all the facts you need. Now are you going to believe those facts? That's what Jesus is asking. And what he's saying is, you don't need more facts, you need more courage. You don't need more facts, you need to stop being fools. Wow. Because all the facts have been laid out to you again and again and again. You, you followed Jesus around for three years, didn't you? Didn't he teach you? Didn't he tell you plainly he was going to die? Didn't he tell you that when this temple is destroyed, three days later it will rise again? And you knew he wasn't talking about that temple. He was talking about himself. You have the facts. Now, do you really believe that what you believe is really real? Or are you foolish and cowardly? What you need is not more facts. You need to stop being fools and stop being cowards. Be wise and be of good courage and believe that what you believe is really real. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, the interesting thing, flip the page. Fill in your blanks, and then you're going to see something pretty cool. Do we sometimes struggle because we simply don't have the wisdom or the courage to believe? You have the facts. They're laid out right here in the Bible. What happens next? Jesus goes back over the facts. Even though he's just told them, you have all the facts? The very next thing he does is, okay, okay. I remember being a high school teacher. I did this once or twice. Let's go over the facts again. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus Christ here is the teacher and he is the subject matter. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, the teacher, explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself, the subject. You know that about the Bible? Are you walking with Jesus the way these two disciples were? They might have lacked courage. And they surely lacked wisdom. Jesus said, how foolish you are and how slow to believe. But they did this one thing so beautifully well. They just kept walking with Jesus. 
And they just kept listening as Jesus walked them through the scriptures. And do you know you can do that too? Jesus wants to be your teacher. And he can teach you right here in in the word of God. Do you take time every day to allow Jesus to be your teacher by having a little quiet time, opening up the pages of your Bible and starting to read and seeing what Jesus has to teach you? And you know what the subject is gonna be? Whether it's Genesis or Exodus or Isaiah or Jeremiah or the Psalms or the Proverbs or Matthew, Mark, Luke or John or Romans or Galatians or Revelation, do you know what the subject matter is gonna be throughout this entire book? You do know. Because Jesus taught them going through the entire scriptures about whom? About himself. Jesus is the subject, and he's also the teacher when we sit down and we read our Bibles. And that's, by the way, if you're asking yourself, okay, I admit it, I have the facts, I'm sometimes foolish and cowardly, and I don't believe that what I believe is really real all the time. What do I do now, pastor? What you do is what the Emmaus disciples did. Just keep walking with Jesus. Keep listening to his voice. Let him review the facts with you one more time. And then ask him for the courage and the wisdom in your heart and in your mind to believe those facts, to believe that what you believe is really real. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. That's what we say to Jesus. If we, if, if we, even if we feel we're lacking some facts, some of you sitting here today may be where I was when I first became a believer. I didn't have all the facts. And if you've had all the facts over and over and over again, and you simply need wisdom and courage, what do you say to Jesus? Stay with us. Stay with me. And then you open up your Bible, and you make Jesus stay with you. So we went in to stay with them. Jesus will always do that if you open your Bible and say, Jesus, stay with us. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. Now that right there is the whole reason why we have donuts outside on the patio. You see what happened there? They broke bread, and they recognized Jesus. Okay, I'm being a little silly here. But it is pretty interesting to see how often Jesus is feeding people and eating with people. Now, that's not a sacrament. They're not talking about the sacrament of the Lord's Supper here. But when they sit down to eat a meal with Jesus, the evening meal, their eyes are open and they recognize him and then boom, he's gone. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Underline these words, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us? These guys wanted more of Jesus and they got more of Jesus. And when he is gone, when in modern terms, they close the Bible for the day, 
said, man, my heart was burning. I felt wisdom pouring into my heart. I felt courage pouring into my heart. I felt facts pouring into my mind that I can base my life on. And my heart burned within my chest. Brothers and sisters, you can still experience that by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can have a sense that you are on the right track that this is the right way of life, that Jesus is the Savior that he proclaims himself to be, the Son of God that he says that he is, that he is truly God himself in human flesh, sent to redeem you from your sins and give you power over sin, death, and Satan. That is who Jesus is, and that is what he does. Write this down. Jesus is the answer to our struggle. When we struggle in our faith, when we struggle to recognize Jesus walking alongside of us, when we struggle to recognize Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior, Jesus is the answer to that struggle. Though not visible, he powerfully speaks into our hearts by the scripture. He becomes our teacher and he becomes the subject matter that we study. And that is powerful. It is the answer to our doubts and our questions. So keep on walking with Jesus. Now what happens once Jesus disappears and they reflect and they say, wow, man, our, our hearts were burning. They can't just sit there. They are antsy. It's like more than antsy. It's like fire ants in their pants. They have to get up. And they have to go tell someone. They got up and returned at once, at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them. And, and you saw it in the video. The very last part of the video, those faces keep popping up. And, and it talks about Jesus' command, now go and tell others. Jesus had not even commanded them to go and tell others, these two. But they knew they had to do it. So they go back to the 11 disciples. And what do they say? It's true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So I made a little list and I want to read it to you because I think this is something that we have to understand. When they go back, they go to talk about one thing, the truth of the resurrection. And do you know why? Just as he promised Jesus had risen from the grave, they were now confident that Jesus would do everything else that he had promised as well because he had risen. That is the meaning of the resurrection. Secondly, Jesus' resurrection from the grave shows that he is not the dead Savior, but the living Christ, the ruler of God's eternal kingdom, and he is not a false prophet, a poser, or an imposter. He is who he says he is. Thirdly, we can be sure that the resurrection is now ours. 
And that when we die, death is no more than a portal, a door that we pass through because Jesus was resurrected and the Bible calls him the first fruits. He's the first and we're gonna follow. Death is not the end. For sure, there is a life after this life and through faith in Jesus Christ, you will go there to enjoy heaven for eternity. Fourthly, this does have meaning for this life. Now, I put the other one first because it's more important. Eternal life is more important. But I I am not at all saying by what I said today earlier that Jesus' resurrection has no power for this life. It absolutely does. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that will help you walk through this life. As you carry your cross, which is at times going to be hard and sweaty and painful, Jesus will be walking with you and he will help lighten that load. He won't likely take the entire cross away. Or if he takes one cross away, he will probably replace it with another because that's his way of keeping you close to him. But he will walk with you and he will give you a peace and a joy that are beyond belief as he lightens the load of your cross. He is there for you today. And this is the final point. The resurrection of Jesus, as you can see with these two disciples, is the power and the truth for our witness to the world. This is our message. It's it's the message that the Bible focuses on. It's the message that these two disciples focus on, and it's the message that we still focus on, whether it's in Levine or South Phoenix or the entire metro area or Mozambique or anywhere around the world. We want people to know that Jesus Christ truly historically, physically rose from the grave to show that death could not defeat him and death cannot defeat you. Write this down. Jesus' resurrection is true and makes us recognize exactly who he really is. He is our promised salvation. You see that Paul says this? 1 Corinthians 15, 19 to 22 He says Jesus' resurrection is true. And when we look at the resurrection and we know it's truth, it shows us who Jesus really is, our promised salvation. Let's read 1 Corinthians 15, 19 to 22. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. If we think that the main message about Jesus is he's our self-help guru, pity us. That's not the main message. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam, all die, all die. So in Christ, all will be made alive. Brothers and sisters, The resurrection is real, historical, physical. Jesus rose from the grave. He is the son of God. He is the Messiah of the world. He is your savior. This is true. And most of all, you should know he is your promised salvation, giving you power over sin, death, and Satan. Take that power home with you today. As in Adam, we all died. So in Christ, we are all made alive, spiritually alive right here, right now. And we experience some of the blessings of that life right here, right now. But above and beyond all of that, we will experience a glorious new life after this life 
in eternity with Jesus. Here's your bottom line. Walk with Jesus and listen until your heart burns with faith. He's the answer in your struggle to believe and live. Let's pray. Your Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus for us. And Lord, we recognize, we confess to you that there are times when we have known the facts, but we have not had the wisdom or the courage to truly trust those facts. We know that you are our Savior and our Lord. Help us to really believe that what we believe is really real. We need your Spirit's power to do that. By nature, we are spiritually dead. So Lord, as we call upon your Spirit for the power to trust and live, we ask you to fill every heart and mind in this room with faith. Send your Spirit powerfully on this group of believers. And then, Lord, help us not to just simply rest on our laurels, but help your resurrection be the basis and the foundation for our witness to this community, this city, and the entire world around us. Lord, we pray these things in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. So I stand before you as the biggest fool and coward in the room. And I admit that freely. I know all the facts, too. And there are many times where I would have to look back on the day and say, I didn't really believe that what I believe is really real. But you know what would be the most foolhardy and cowardly thing to do? It would be for us not to admit that we have questions and doubts sometimes about our faith and that we're weak. Because that is the only way to say, I need an answer. I need an answer for my weakness, my foolishness, and my cowardice. And that answer is Jesus. Jesus is your answer and Jesus is my answer. And as big of a fool as any of us might be, as big as a coward as any of us might be, we all have Jesus. He's my savior and he's your savior too. Let me send you home with this blessing from your risen savior. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace, amen. Have a great week in the Lord. We'll see you on the patio. If you want to be prayed with, just stay in your seat. We have a prayer team that will come down. Greet a fellow coward or a fellow fool on the way out.